Welcome to the Pantsuit Nation podcast. Pantsuit Nation is an online community of 3.7 million people who have come together to resist the current administration through activism, advocacy, and the power of personal narrative. I'm Courtney Tunis, and I'm here with Libby Chamberlain. Hello. And we are really excited about our guest today, but first I'm going to let Libby talk a little bit about the elections that happened this Tuesday. Yeah, so um, as has you know, fortunately, often been the case in the past several months as we've been going through the primaries and leading up to the midterms in November. Um, it's just been a lot of good news, um, you know, not 100% good news. But uh, so we're recording this on Wednesday. So we're just getting the results from the primaries in Kansas, Missouri, Michigan, and Washington State. Um, and there's some pretty major announcements. And the first one is that So as of today, there are now officially more women major party nominees for the U.S. House and for governor's races than ever before in history. So that means that there are more women running for these major things than ever before. And it's like... I know that we've been like saying this all along, but it's it's like official now that this is a historic year for women running for office for the U.S. House and for governor's races, and that's after the results um, for yesterday's primaries, which um, you know and that number is only going to continue to increase as a, you know we still have some more primaries to go. So that's yeah, kind of awesome. I, I mean, love it. It's, like, <laughs> it's I love huge, and this is just to, to clarify: it's it's both Republican and Democratic women, and um, you know we're we're rooting for the Democrats, but uh, I also like just want to see more more women in office. Um, so that's huge, and and within that, there's um, some some exciting candidates who won yesterday. So Rashida Tlaib uh, won her primary in Michigan's 13th congressional district, uh, and so she's going to run unopposed in November, which means that she's poised to become the first Muslim woman in Congress. And so that's huge. Major. Um, another uh, big win from yesterday is Sharice Davids, who's an openly LGBTQ Native American woman. Um, and she won the Democratic nomination in Kansas's third congressional district. And if she's elected in November, Davids would also make history as one of two possible Native American women elected to Congress, uh, along with Deb Holland, who is a nominee in New Mexico, um, and she's very likely to win. So Sharice and Rashida, those are, are huge ones. Um, also big wins across all of those states. Haley Stevens um, <clears throat> was a, a, a big one. Uh, governor's races. And I mean, it's just, it's very exciting. It's so exciting. I can't, um, I just love, as much as there are, you know, lows in all of this stuff, there are just so many highs. And the fact that there could be, um, you know, not one, but two Native American women uh, in Congress, the first Muslim woman, there's just like, I don't know. There's so much amazing stuff happening that um, it it helps to offset all of the craziness that's coming out of the actual White House to know that people like have their head down, they're getting their work done, and that we are marching forward and making changes that I think like we might not have gotten to for many more years if people hadn't right. looked at the end of the election and said like, no, now's the time to act. Um, so yeah. that it's really exciting. Totally. And two other big um, victories yesterday. So one was in Missouri, uh, where voters gave unions a victory by by rejecting a right to work law. So that's a major story in terms of um, unions and uh, protecting union workers in Missouri. Uh, And then the second one is Wesley Bell uh, defeated Bob McCulloch, a 27-year incumbent for St. Louis County prosecuting attorney. And I'm just going to put a a pin in that for now, because I really want to talk about that race and the the huge significance um, for the community that elected him uh, when we speak with our guest. Absolutely, and let's bring her on now. 
So our guest today is Arisha Hatch, and she serves as the Managing Director of Campaigns at ColorofChange.org and the Director of Color of Change PAC, and leads the organization's civic engagement, voting rights, criminal justice, corporate accountability, and media work. During her time at Color of Change, she has led efforts to convince corporations to divest from the Republican National Convention, push for policy changes in the way that online fundraising platforms like GoFundMe and Indiegogo profit from police violence, and successfully pressured Saturday Night Live to add black women to its cast and writer's room. Prior to joining Color of Change in 2012, Arisha left behind a legal career to organize for the Obama campaign in 2008 and later served as the national organizing director for of the Courage campaign. Welcome, Arisha. Thank you for having me. I wanted to jump right into um, one of the most exciting things that is coming out of Color of Change Pack right now, which is Voting While Black. And I was hoping that you could give us kind of an overview of what that campaign encompasses and hopes to accomplish before we dive into some of the more recent uh, successes of the campaign. Sure. Voting While Black is our um, uh, voter engagement program that's run by Color of Change Pack. Um, and we were specifically endorsing candidates who are running in black communities. And it's our effort to engage as many black voters as possible. Um, we're really excited. We have thousands and thousands of member leaders who are volunteering across the country, engaging black voters, talking to them about what's at stake, um, and really making sure that they know how valuable their vote is. Because so often our voters and the folks that we're, we're specifically talking to, irregular black voters, maybe folks that came out once to vote for Obama or not to vote for presidential elections. We want to make sure um, that uh, this is a constituency that's being talked to um, and being encouraged to participate. Excellent. And I know Voting While Black recently endorsed a number of candidates for this November election cycle. And I was wondering what a candidate needs um, to be doing and making themselves stand out to get an, an endorsement from Voting While Black. Yeah. Um, so a lot of the work that we've been doing in the primary season has been related to um, district attorneys um, and prosecutors across the country. Um, and so we have a set of criteria that we've laid out. We're really trying to change uh, the way prosecutors are elected and the types of prosecutors that are elected. And so we have a set of criteria um, in those races. We want folks to be more transparent um, about what they're doing in their offices. We want them to decline to prosecute certain things like marijuana possession, for example, or refuse to use the death penalty um, as a, a tool for justice. We want them to end money bail. We have a set of things that we want folks to do. Um, and so we've been going around the country looking specifically at black communities and um, trying to find prosecutors who sort of fit into that mold. Uh, beyond that work in the primary, we've also been doing a lot of exciting work around a few of the gubernatorial candidates that we find like really exciting. Mm. Um, Stacey Abrams in Georgia um, is one person. Um, who we think is just so inspiring and has tremendous potential to shift the way government works in Georgia. Same for Andrew Gillum in Florida. And so we've been, we know there's a lot of, re of reasons for Black folks to feel disenchanted by what's happening in the political environment. Um, sometimes there aren't candidates that we can root for. There are candidates to like root against. Um, but we're trying to find folks who... Um, actually go to sleep at night afraid of disappointing Black people. And so that's what our endorsement process mm. looks like so far. So let's talk about um, a, a 
very recent huge victory um, for the Color of Change pack and this endorsement process, and specifically um, around this uh, uh, this group of people, the prosecuting uh, attorneys that you mentioned. Tell us about the victory yesterday uh, of Wesley Bell in Ferguson um, in St. Louis County in Missouri. Yes, it's such a huge deal, and it's really, I think, for not only Color of Change pack, but for an entire the entire movement for Black Lives, um, a victory that's been four years in the making. Um, Bob McCullough uh, has been the state prosecutor or the county prosecutor in St. Louis County, which oversees Ferguson um, for 27 years, run completely opposed. And the last time he hmm. ran, more than 80% of the public uh, didn't show up to vote and he got elected and four days later, Michael Brown was killed. And we saw exactly in that moment um, how powerless we were to hold uh, this elected official accountable. One, because he had been unchallenged. Two, because he, um, cont- he continued to run his office on a, on a tough on crime sort of ethic uh, that was focused more on, uh, was focused less on making sure that black people in the community of Ferguson were safe um, and more on sort of being a prosecutor for the police officers. Um, And Mm. so, you know, um, it was a real, we've seen, you know, since Michael Brown and Ferguson, um, actually starting way back um, with Angela Corey and Trayvon Martin and the senior grandmas um, that prevented for, you know, over a month his killer um, not being charged. We've seen time and time again the power of a prosecutor uh, to make daily decisions that impact the lives of Black people. Thousands of daily decisions, daily decisions these prosecutors' offices make, whether to charge someone for something, to charge something as a felony or a misdemeanor, um, to charge it all. Uh, and uh, these daily decisions have real consequences on the lives of Black people and their families and our communities. And so um, um, we're like super excited. We're a little bit shocked and um, um, honestly a little bit hungover after the win. Like this is <laughs> a huge upset. <laughs> um, and, um, you know, all of the polls had Wesley Bell, Bell trailing um, by 10 points. Yeah. Um, but because of the hard work of many Color of Change members, as well as um, amazing local organizers like Kayla Reed um, and the St. Louis Action Council um, and so many others, we were able to, like, unseat, um, uh, you know, Bob McCullough, who um, we think has just done so much damage um, to our community. Um, and um, it just, and, and, and to be able to come back to Ferguson four years later, after all that this movement has been through, after all this country has been through, uh, um, as we've gone through this discourse about police violence um, and about accountability, um, um, we're just um, thrilled that the people of St. Louis County get to wake up with a better person in office starting in January. It's amazing. It's a huge victory and congratulations to to your whole team and to Color of Change PAC for, for this really important work. And as you're talking, one of the things that I am appreciating about sort of the way that Color of Change is going about this work is, is um, 
well, there, there's this like narrative, right, in like larger spheres of, of public discourse, like, you know, thank you, black voters for supporting Democrats and for winning elections, like after the Doug Jones victory in Alabama, like that's, you know, certainly one of the major messages that was being communicated. Um, and, and what I appreciate about Color of Change and the work that you're doing is like closing a loop, not just around like black voters contributing to democratic victories, but black voters contributing to victories that are good for, for the black community um, and sort of tightening that loop and, and endorsing and, and amplifying candidates who are, are doing work and, and black candidates that are doing that work. And, and I think that that, um, the narrative shift around that I think is really important for white voters like me to, <laughs> to really internalize and understand um, so, sort of as I'm appreciating it and, and looking at the work that you're doing. Um, because I think that that like media narrative gets off the rails sometimes. And, and it's a frustration, I think, for those of us that are trying to empower people to own their agency as voters when it's like this blanket message of like, thank you, black voters for like, getting Doug Jones elected. <laughs> it's like, that's not, mm -hmm. that's not necessarily going to turn out more black voters, like, unless he's actually doing important work for the black community, um, that that can actually be a kind of an, an erosive message to be broadcasting and, and you're doing the opposite, which I think is so, so important. Thank you so much. Like what we just believe is, is that um, it, it is so important for people to have a choice when they go to the ballot box. And for so long, so many of us haven't had choices um, of who to elect. We just get to go in and either blindly check a block and then, you know, uncontested race or we don't go in at all. Um, and um, yeah, I just appreciate that because, you know, all of these elections and a lot of these places have like real consequences for black people. And where I'd like mm. to see a shift in the way that we like think about and value black voters as a broader progressive movement um, is to actually go and fight in those places that we just sort of like ceded um, to the right wing. Um, you know, we should be competitive in places mm. like Alabama, like every single year. That's how many like black people there, that's how many black people are impacted by um, who the congressperson is, who the senator is, who the governor is. Um, th those are the people that are struggling to get health care and access to healthcare. Those are the people that are struggling under um, burdensome voting rights laws. Um, you know, these are the folks that are being over incarcerated at massive and massive um, numbers. And so, um, yeah, I, I, I actually want people to like trust black voters and I actually want um, like-minded progressives to invest in the places where black voters are. Like, I think we've gotten so deep in this, like, battleground state map and the blue wall and presidential races. And we just, like, leave folks um, in the South and, like, completely behind. Um, and so that's, what, that's, I think, a big trend that we're trying to shift. Um, and we're asking our members who are both Black and also our allies to help us shift that trend across the country. That's so great. It definitely reflects a lot of what we see in Pantsuit Nation is people um, fighting against that narrative of lost locations that, you know, we are here, we are progressive, we are fighting for the rights of people who you, you, you know, if you're only looking at battlegrounds, if you're only looking at um, the coasts are, you know, we live here mm -hmm. and we're um, 
you know, help us out and um, send us resources and, and fight alongside us. So I, I really appreciate that. And it's, it's such a critical message, I think, for people to remember um, as we start to move into the election cycle that is going to, you know, force that other narrative that, that Libby was talking about. Um, one thing that you mentioned a little bit earlier that I would love to have you talk a little bit more about is um, ending money bail and specifically why that's central to the criminal justice reform goals of Color of Change. So tell us a little bit more about why money bail is such an important thing to get rid of. Yeah, um, it's a great question. You know, for decades, I think folks have had this um uh, narrative about bail as being like a good thing, like a savior, like when you're in trouble, you can get out um, type of thing. But the reality is, is that it's a policy that is um, that continues to criminalize poverty. Um, and the reality is, mm. is that we have um, millions of people who are sitting in jail right now because they can't afford their bail to get out. They haven't even been to trial. They haven't been convicted. Um, and we're using sort of fake data about um, whether or not people will return. And it's really like, I, I believe, one of the biggest constitutional violations um, that we're sort of seeing. This idea, like we're, fa- we're a country founded on this idea that you're um, innocent until proven guilty. And yet there are so many people, um, black, brown, white, all poor, um, who are literally sitting behind bars um, because uh, they can't afford a bail. Um, We first started talking about this issue more and more after the in-custody death of Sandra Bland, um, who was Mm -hmm. a woman a few years ago um, who was pulled over for failing to use her turn signal in Waller County, Texas, just outside of Houston, um, who was then dragged out of her car um, um, by the police officer and placed in jail. She couldn't afford a $500 bail and so had to spend the weekend there. She worried all weekend about missing an upcoming job interview, um, about the life that she was like missing. And, um, um, and one morning, uh, security guards woke up to find her hanging in her jail cell. Um, and, you know, it was crushing to find out that someone's life had been delayed and was now taken because they just couldn't pull together $500. Um, and so that's why we're trying to sort of change the system. Prosecutors play a very large role in um, uh, uh, Sandra Bland is one of the many people who whose life has been impacted by this sort of predatory bail system. Um, and so we're trying to shift that prosecutors um, have a lot of power in how bail um, is prescribed. Judges also have a lot of power. And there are a lot of corporations um, and even some politicians who are profiteering off of folks too poor um, to pay their bail. And so we're trying to shift that. We think it's fundamentally unfair. Um, and a lot of the work that we're doing around district attorneys is actually calling for them to take a different approach to this issue. And that's something that we've um, we've tried to amplify a bit in Pantsuit Nation. Um, 
and it's one of those issues where, again, there are so many different ways to um, to kind of get out the issue. One is, yes, looking for new candidates who, who um, uh, hold the value line, holding current elected uh, officials accountable, going, um, you know, advocating and pressuring uh, companies and, and businesses and corporations, um, and then also donating money. And that's something that um, we've participated in the last couple of years um, around Mother's Day is contributing to the Mama's uh, bailout fund for Mother's Day and just just donating money to, to get some of these people out of jail um, for these, you know, minor charges before they've been, you know, convicted of anything, just so they can go spend time with their families um, for, you know, these moments in their lives. And so it's it's an issue that if you if you care about, and we think you should, there's a lot of different ways to, to sort of contribute and advocate to, to end it um, or, and to change the way that, that impacts people's lives. And so... Um, I appreciate, I mean, as most issues are, that, you know, there's there's a, a number of different ways to get at change. And it, it kind of takes this um, comprehensive approach, short term, long term, looking at kind of who's in power, who, who we can get in power, all of that. So I wanted to um, ask you, Arisha, one of the things that we really love to ask our podcast guests um, is kind of looking at it, the landscape. And obviously, there's, there's a lot um, to be angry about. There's a lot that's frustrating. There's a lot that's kind of hard to even um, kind of digest sometimes in terms of what's happening nationally in particular. Uh, but there's also a lot of bright spots. And, and certainly Wesley Bell's victory yesterday is a huge one. Are there other things that make you sort of excited or hopeful as you're doing your work, um, meeting people out in the world that, that make you um, feel excited, stories or individuals that you're um, thinking about, especially as we approach midterms this year? Yeah. Um... I, I find hope in the members that we're working with on a daily basis. I think it's like super easy um, when you're a part of this like pro- professional political class to be really exhausted. Like the last two years have been exhausting. Um, probably two of the most like professionally difficult years of my life. Um, and yet mm. when we go out to our trainings, we have Camp Color of Change Path where we're training thousands of color of change members to start their own squads um, and engage voters in their communities as well as hold their elected officials accountable. When we've been hosting these brunches all across the country, um, inviting not only our members, but mem- um, you know, target voters within our irregular voting universe, asking them to come into community, not asking for their vote, but asking for their, them to come into community to come to a brunch. We've seen more than 10,000 people attend events across the country. I'm just reminded of how um, powerful and resourceful and resilient um, our community is. We're running a program, Voting While Black, and you know the mantra is empower Black joy. Um, and um, we're trying mm-hmm. to do that not only in our like interpersonal relationships within our communities, but also to empower um, uh, decision makers and uh, and push for elected officials who um, actually think about Black folks and our well-being and happiness. And so I'm like super inspired by like the energy um, where we're working with folks that have never participated um, in politics or campaigns in this way. Um, And so I'm really excited to sort of hear their stories um, and to watch them uh, just to continue to like level up uh, what it looks like uh, Mm. to actually... um, engage and support other black people in their community. Um, and so I actually have like a lot of hope. I'm totally like a normally a pessimist, but um, 
Um, <laughs> I, I'm like impressed by the people um, more than I'm impressed by like the political operatives right now, I would say. I feel like it's a really good sign if a pessimist is feeling optimistic. That's that's good. That's the right direction. Um, so, Arisha, where can our listeners find more information about you and your work, follow you on social media, that kind of thing? Yeah, you can check us out at votingwalblack.com. Um, you can also go to the Color of Change website, www.colorofchange.org, and find out different ways to um, plug in. Um but yeah, come join our email list, see what we're up to, you know, sign some petitions and then come, come and see us out on the road. We'll be hosting lots of events and lots of trainings. And we're really trying to just sort of like invest in the folks who are ready to do the work to take back our country. Amazing. Thank you so awesome. much for joining us, Arija. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate y'all so much and everything you're doing. This week's Pantsuit Nation podcast is brought to you by Secret. Let's clear a few things up about Secret Clinical Strength Antiperspirant. First of all, it is not actually a secret. You are allowed to tell anyone about it. Number two, it is clinically strong, which means that it is good at preventing sweat. Basically twice as good as regular antiperspirant. That's why it's on the top shelf in the store. Number three, strength is a cool word. You don't really see it a ton on women's deodorant packaging, so Secret was like, okay, let's shake this up. Number four, sweating is the worst. You already know this. But number four and a half, not sweating is great. So you should buy Secret Clinical Strength Antiperspirant. Thank you so much to our guest, Arisha Hatch. And now let's move to the call to action. It's really hard to believe um, that this Sunday is going to mark one year since the Unite the Right white supremacist rally in Charlottesville that resulted in the death of counter-protester Heather Heyer. You might remember um, on the podcast, we talked about this over the course of a couple of weeks. Um, it was just a, a turning point in what I think people were realizing were happening in this election. Dozens of people were also injured while they were standing up to neo-Nazis. Um, and this week, in order to kind of commemorate what happened and uh, push against another neo-Nazi rally that is happening in Washington. We're asking you to to support the businesses of people who are targeted by these hate groups, by neo-Nazis and white supremacist groups. So patronize the businesses owned by people of color, LGBTQIA people, Jewish people, immigrants. Um, really show up in your own communities and show what it looks like to stand in solidarity alongside one another. This is a good thing to practice all the time, but if you haven't been thinking about doing that, this is a really good weekend to start in thinking about what it means to push back against the hate that these groups are spreading out there. Absolutely. One of the things that I is like a little mantra that I repeat to myself sometimes when I'm browsing on Amazon or <laughs> thinking about where to go to dinner or like, you know, what brand of clothing to buy for my kids is like put your money where your values are. Um, mm. And and that's it's it's so important and i think you're right courtney that at times like this like if you're you know choosing to to patronize different businesses or thinking about who your wedding photographer is going to be or what bakery you're going to visit or whatever it is take a, take that opportunity to support marginalized communities and those that are targeted by these hate groups because you know that part of what they're trying to do is remove all power including financial power from these communities mm -hmm. and so one really tangible way to combat that um, is is to use your dollars in, in a way that 
reflects your values. So I, I, um, I really absolutely like this call to action. And I've actually found it's pretty easy to find this information. You know, people are making lists online all the time. <laughs> and so if you're right. not sure, you know, who owns the restaurants that you, you go to or about how to find a restaurant owned by a woman of color, that kind of thing, like you can actually do a Google and it's, and it pops up pretty easily. Um, so, you know, do a little bit of research, push a little bit harder um, when you're going out and, and patronizing places this weekend and moving forward. And then the second uh, call to action, again, uh, and because he hasn't been confirmed yet, please keep the pressure up on your senators to block the nomination of uh, Judge Brett Kavanaugh for the U.S. Supreme Court. Um, It's just... it's hard to uh, overstate the importance of this. Uh, you know, you can choose the the issue or the policy or the thing that you're most passionate about, whether it's holding the current president accountable for his actions, reproductive rights, the environment, um, you know, consumer protection, rights for LGBTQ people. Um, all of those things are on the line with this nomination. Um, so please call your senators, go to fivecalls.org um, and follow the information. You'll get call scripts, phone numbers, all of that. Um, try and set a goal for yourself to make one or two phone calls every single week to your senators about this more if you can even better if you can show up in person um and you know ask them uh, you know in person to to make this key um vote happen all right well thanks for that libby yep definitely keep the pressure on it is not over until he's on the bench and he is not on the bench yet so let's keep him off Uh, Let's transition now to something that is so uplifting to me, the golden pantsuit. Um, So the golden pantsuit, of course, is is a fashion statement in and of itself as as a part of this podcast. Um, but I have to admit to not really being a, a fashion person. Um, I, I wear a lot of like non-fashionable things. Um, but even I had heard of the Vogue September issue. Uh, the September issue is traditionally the most important issue of the year. And um, I, I don't actually know why, but I just know that it is. And that's mostly because I've like seen the Devil Wears Prada. But anyway, <laughs> so this... <laughs> Here. Uh, this year, Vogue September issue has been graced by none other than the Queen Bee herself, Beyonce. And um, we are giving the golden pantsuit to her not just because she is uh, an incredible, powerful, wonderful woman who is out there uh, just being fabulous, but because she is using her opportunity on the cover of Vogue to um, elevate another artist and bring the very first black photographer to shoot the cover art for the cover of Vogue. Beyonce brought in Tyler Mitchell to shoot the cover for this issue, as I mentioned, the most important issue of the year, and he is the very first black photographer to shoot the cover in 126 years. Um, So let's hear from Beyonce herself about the importance of representation from her Grammy speech in 2017. It's important to me to show images to my children that reflect their beauty so they can grow up in a world where they look in the mirror, first through their own families, as well as the news, the Super Bowl, the Olympics, the White House, and the Grammys, and see themselves, and have no doubt that they're beautiful, intelligent, and capable. This is something I want for every child of every race, and I feel it's vital that we learn from the past and recognize our tendencies to repeat our own our mistakes. So that is uh, straight from the mouth of Beyonce herself that, you know, this is about her children, this is about other people's children and making sure that they see people that reflect them across the board and the fashion industry is one that still needs to really be penetrated and and moved in the direction of more diversity. And I just love 
you know, everything that she's written in in that cover story in the article in about motherhood, about um, yeah, kind of the the lines between being in the spotlight and being a, a mother and behind a wife behind the scenes and, and a, um, an entrepreneur and an artist. I mean, all of that, she just, um, she brings together all these, these threads in a really moving, but like typically badass Beyonce way, <laughs> um, that, uh, is, is, uh, is, it's pretty great. So yeah, I'm, I'm going to co-sign this one wholeheartedly. <laughs> is it true that we've never given Beyonce the golden pantsuit before? Though? I, I feel like I didn't. <laughs> I I didn't even look back to check because I was like, she gets it anyway, and Beyonce of all people can have it twice. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yes, totally. And there's one of the photos that Tyler Mitchell um, has of her is this amazing um, portrait of her in a white pantsuit, which um, it's hard to pick a favorite out of all of the amazing shots that he took. And I mean, yeah, it's, it's pretty stunning. But um, that one, of course, is, is a personal favorite. Absolutely. So that brings us to the end of the show today. Thank you so much to our guest, Arisha Hatch, to our sponsor, Secret, and to our team at Cadence 13. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review. It makes it a lot easier for people to find us. You can visit us at pantsuitnation.org. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at pantsuitnation. Subscribe to our Facebook Messenger platform by going to our Facebook page uh, and clicking sign up. And uh, yeah, we'd love to hear from you. So we will be back next week and uh, looking forward to talking to you then. Absolutely. And remember that this democracy is your democracy. So stay engaged. Bye, Livy. Will do. Bye, Corey. Bye. Bye.